0: from Sydney, Australia. I'm Margaret Brandman, composer, performer and recording artist.
1: So you've had some major influences in your life. When you look at the jazz music that you've created, there's been key personalities that have come into your life and you speak about synchronicity a lot and things just happening out of the blue and life just takes on a new path, basically. And it's like a confirmation when these synchronicities happen, that you're happening, that you're on the right path. So can you speak to some of the influences, some of the major personalities who you've had major connections with, but also that have influenced you and encouraged you to stay on the path of composition?
0: Okay. Well, I'll talk first of all about um, from when I was young. Um, I, was, I would have been maybe 19 and I was just out of school, the uh, conservative music high school. And I. Um, I started doing gigs and went to um, a late night venue here where all the musicians went to after they'd finished their performances. And I was introduced to a gentleman by the name of Kirk Lightsey, who is uh, an American um, jazz musician from Detroit originally and who travelled to Australia to be MC for uh, a person called Lovelace Watkins and um, O.C. Smith. We're going back many years here. And um, I, when we when we met, he said, um, "Oh, you just you know finished the conservatorium and you play classical piano." He said, "When I travel around the world, I always take my flute with me as well as playing with jazz." Mm-hmm. And I I actually go into buildings in in early morning when the acoustics are great, and I play my flute in the foyer of the buildings. And he said, I've, "I'm doing the Bach flute pieces. Can you play my accompaniments for me?" So I said, yeah. And so we got together and we had afternoons where he was playing flute and I was playing piano. But then he would sit down and play jazz for me. Now I'm about 19 there and I'm starting to do popular, you know, playing in bands myself. But I'd be sitting down watching all the things that he would do and, and really quite influenced and then I wrote some a flute piece for him and he said oh this is this is coming on nicely and um there's some jazz that's called antics for flute and piano so Mm -hmm. I wrote that sort of had him in mind but then we've stayed in touch all these years and he came to Australia um, with his wife on a holiday to Tasmania just before the COVID hit and I went down to Tasmania to hear him performing Um, but he's played with Dexter Gordon's band and major um, people all around the world. And he lives in Paris and he travels to um, Israel or to to Switzerland or to America. And he's just, he's now 85 and he's just releasing a new album that he did at Small's jazz um, venue in. in I think that's
1: fantastic. 85. And he's still, you know, majorly producing music and all I think that's amazing. Friends,
0: and, and Good yes, him. and we're, we're still you know very much in touch, which is lovely. And then, um, just being chronological, um, I was working at uh, this um, we, we have venues in Australia called uh, RSL clubs, Returned Soldiers League clubs, but um, you know, social club. and they used to put on quite major shows in the 70s where you'd have bands of up to 20 piece bands and you would have international artists come. And i worked in a six piece band for three years. And we did have many international people coming past. And anybody in England might remember Dame Vera Lynn, who traveled to Australia. And uh, also um, we also had Harry Seacombe and we had other people from America. Bobby Rydell was one. We had Larry Adler, who was the um, whiz on mouth organ. Um, Many, many people. Uh, but uh, I became friends with Vera Lynn's uh, musical director, Jack Honeybourne, and uh, invited him at the time when my husband, we're living in the city and we came and said come for dinner and we made contact and we've stayed in in touch all these years from 1977 or so, and he is now 94 <laughs> and is doing um, uh, gigs in London at the... Um, royal albert hall and uh, at 94. at 94. wow he doesn't that... look at 94 at all you know yeah yeah um, and and he's also a remarkable he's had a few roles in some films he's been in um um the the peter sellers movie the party many years ago i won't tell you what his role is but one day i'll tell you what he played then but he was also in a movie called the quartet directed by Dustin Hoffman about um, a, a, a retired person's home, Maggie Smith and um, um, G- uh, Connolly, Billy Connolly, were in that movie as well. Okay. And he's got a, a bit part where he, he plays piano and there's a, yeah. so he, he's done some acting yeah. and very remarkable person. So every time I go to London, I meet up here. He was, was playing at the um, Spice of Life pub for many years, every every fortnight with his band, doing jazz, fantastic jazz player and, um, and yeah. you know, accompanist. So um, that's been a delight, knowing Jack for all those years. Uh, then in uh, 1981, I went to, I was in, uh, because I was in the Fellowship of Composers, we got to hear about the first International Congress on Women in Music. And so I went to represent the Fellowship to the Congress. I was the Australian rep for that to New York. And I performed my pieces there and met a lot of other lady composers. And um, at the time also, there was a gentleman by the name of Aaron Cohen, who was writing the International Encyclopedia of Women Composers. Well, my piano teacher in Sydney had said to me, oh, you know, when I said I want to go into composition, he said, well, you know, um there have never been any women composers, but good luck anyway, he said, which was really sort of misogynist, really. And um so that actually spurred me on with my composition to, yeah. to say look, but but we did already have uh oh, I, I knew of through the fellowship uh and other through the b mm-hmm. many Australian women composers have been writing, you know, from nineteen third, twenties, thirties onwards. And uh so I knew of maybe half a dozen. So I go and find Aaron Cohen, and he's got these two huge books this thick, which yeah. I've seen, so you've I've got. seen
1: the picture encyclopedia-looking books, yeah. Mm-hmm. And
0: actually, I'm included in that 1987 edition, okay. which is which is nice to know. But this just tells you how many women composers there are, and of course now there there are more women composers being understood and that we're around. Being included. And I'm not my publishers in Germany, which are called Furore Verlag in German publishing, they started their business to exclusively pr- um, promote and print women's music. So oh, I've been lovely. with them for twenty yeah. years. So they're doing a really good job and you know, raising uh, awareness. So that's that was sort of nice to to meet Aaron at that conference,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then in 1995. Um, we had a young chap by the name of Aaron McMillan, another Aaron, mm-hmm. and he had an idea to produce a concert of all Australian composers p- performing their own works. And mm-hmm. nobody had thought of that before. It was a really good idea from this young man. So I was amongst um, a, a lovely group of both men and women composers performing my own music at Sydney yeah. Town too. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I've sent you the, the thing on that. Unfortunately, Aaron Macmillan had brain cancer and died oh. at 30. Mm-hmm. And he was on the Australian Story, and there's books written about him and everything. But he was excellent, top quality pianist. Yeah. Um, and he had great ideas of promotion and all of that. Yeah. But he, he did that, which is good. And he performed my work called Sonorities at another concert in uh, Western Sydney when he did a concert of, of music that he recorded for albums so he's done some albums on my music's on his albums as
1: well fantastic fantastic I mean it's amazing the people that you've that you're uh, connected in with and the influences that have come to you in a sense that um it really has impact I'm looking like as you're speaking I'm just my eye is going over to all these notes names (laughs) events that have happened concerts that have happened it's some list of stuff some list of stuff
0: been exciting when there's a, the next one was the, the 2005 international congress on science culture and arts in hawaii and i uh, was invited to go to that and to perform so i performed some of my songs and i met a, a lady there who actually learnt my songs and we, we she came she comes from holland and um we we're in touch so we've, we've performed several times at these conferences since then mm-hmm. and um we we you know produced some of the songs and these were um which date was that yeah I think we sang some of the songs of love and desire at that point Mm -hmm. and um I met a lovely uh legendary lady pianist Joanne Brackeen from New York and she performed at the same time and then when I went to New York in 2006 uh, I you know got to meet with her and go up to her apartment and we spent the day together and and um, we had stayed in touch. She teaches at Berkeley College, north of um, New York. Mm-hmm. And she she had been somebody I, I'd seen on, you know, film clips and things when in the 1970s, even in the 80s. Yeah, the 1970s, and
1: old, there you myself. are connected.
0: And, and, yeah, connected with that.
1: Mm. Um,
0: then we go to 12, 2012, they had the World Forum at Oxford University and uh, i did a lecture on my music ideas with the patterns the scale patterns and things mm-hmm. and then i did a performance and again performed with elizabeth van der Kulik. and um, they were kind enough to they, they just chose five people from the conference and big surprise we were given the distinguished intellectual contribution award for the continent so i got the one for the continent of australia and others
1: got them for the other continents so you've got a good. good number of awards at this point haven't you yes yeah, lovely that, uh, that, that you, the, the recognition is there you know for a female composer i mean it's just showing how the music world is shifting and becoming mm-hmm. more equal but there's still some discussion in you know in terms of music production and directing and so on it's still a very unbalanced world there you know regarding male female but um, yeah. In terms of the composition, it seems to be the recognition is balancing out. Yeah. But
0: I, I I still think the general programming for orchestras around the world is very skewed towards, you know, 90% male and 1% female. Yeah. You know, or mm-hmm. females. It's it's very hard to, to if, A, to even get an orchestra look, to, look at new music for a start, mm-hmm. and then if it's written by a woman,
1: uh, well, you know, there yeah, still there's still is, um, a, a kind of a threshold to pass regarding that. Yeah. But so, at least it seems to be heading in the right direction, though. I mean, there's yeah. major moves going in the right direction of um, equality, yeah. hopefully. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So then if I come to um, my you know later years here, um, since 2016, well, 2013, I started doing my Rhapsody Sarumbas concerts and um, we showcased a whole range of my music from art music from the art songs and the eastern spine bill that you've talked about um works for the saxophone quartet um which is now called warm winds in havana and um we did those concerts for a couple of years with musicians from australia and then when i started writing the um the cosmic wheel i Uh, connected with Martin Cook and that's another backstory. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) Another story.
0: Another story. Martin was learning, singing here in Australia, um, by a lady by the name of Evelyn Hall, Evelyn Hall, and my, my aunt, my auntie Johanna Joan Brandman, was the accompanist and he was only young at the time. And when Evelyn and Joan used to go to the concerts at the Opera House uh, together, some, twice Evelyn got sick and gave her ticket to Martin. So Martin actually knew my aunt. He sat next to my aunt at concerts at the Opera House back in the 1970s. And we've connected again since 2014, 15. Okay. And um, he um, he was delighted. I wrote some songs for him. I wrote Lady of Grace and um, one about his story when he used to live in sydney and travel from the circular key ferries to an area called manly on the ferry and he, i had and so this tune called the barragula sent to manly is all about the ferry and the ferry was named barragula which is the Arab, aboriginal name for flood tide okay <clears throat> so so that's the storyline and so i wrote songs for him mm-hmm. but he also then we workshopped and premiered all 12 of the songs from the cycle which was a major feat for us solo singer 12 songs yeah it is and yeah. not to mention me accompanying
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i bet you yeah yeah
0: yeah so that's been really good and then we um uh went to uh prague i decided to write the choral versions of those uh same works so we've had the prague choir uh, perform and record those works and they did a concert in prague in 2017 and i was there fortunately i was there for the concert at, at the uh, czech music museum wonderful hall
1: that they that have must been amazing the sound yeah choir
0: yes yeah, so, so some of those clips are up on my youtube channel
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and that was just lovely to be there for that and to also to supervise the reporting. So I've been to the Czech Republic twice because I went to, the, to Moravia, to a little town called Olomouc to supervise the Moravian. I Felemon. believe it's a
1: beautiful country. Czech yes. yeah. yeah, I've yeah. heard people say it's a beautiful country. And the concert
0: hall is a dedicated concert hall for that orchestra, and they're mm. fantastic orchestra. So uh, that, that was really a wonderful life experience to be there while the orchestra was recording my music. Yeah. Exciting, um, exciting. So that that was nice on that side. And yes, and I've had other other lovely performers here. I've performed together with Desiree, who wrote the lyrics for the songs of love and desire, and we've done the mm. album together. And she's originally from Holland. Um, so international Mm -hmm. and then we've had and Irma Enriquez who plays my my music for several concerts she's from Mexico so we have a nice um, international
1: nice international player yeah
0: fantastic and then I've had flute players and yeah
1: you asked me about yeah so I'm just wondering for somebody who's listening to this long list of names and long you know life of just international connection to be honest for somebody who would yeah. love to enter the world of performance or is dreaming about it where would you say a student should start to gain experience of a concert stage because not everybody has had your background in terms of your mom was in music and all the rest of it so what would you say to somebody who oh i'd love to get on that concert stage just like margaret is illustrating there what would you say would be oh, the first steps? Well, I,
0: I did have I did have that um, advantage of being um, on once a year on big on the big stage with uh, all the students and mm-hmm. um, being you know guided by my mum and and also the, the other thing for me I've done so much um, professional performing like mm-hmm. three nights a week for many many years um, playing so you do get over the nerves because you're just doing it so much yeah. and um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the thing is for performing on stage you need to have your skills really sharply honed i think you need to be very well versed so that your music is on muscle memory memory mm-hmm. um, as, as well as internet intellectual um and if you don't want to get nervous you just have to be very confident in what you're doing either reading it or a lot of people memorize as you know Mm -hmm. um and um i just think it's do it do it do it you know the more more opportunities you get to perform in front of family and friends um just
1: take the opportunities
0: small groups uh local and then sort of work your way up from there
1: yeah um, mm-hmm. and how do you deal with somebody you've taught many students so have you ever come across somebody who has had a very nervous disposition when a when they're coming to a point of performance like the date is set they're about to head towards that date and then it's coming closer 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 and the attention is building for that mm-hmm. poor student how do you help them kind of surmount that
0: well i, I think for my own students it's um my teaching strategies that um, get you to be familiar with your instrument, uh, and so that you can play eyes closed if you need to. If if you can play your music eyes closed um, and navigate around your instrument, you're so at home with your instrument, uh, then if it do get a bit of tension, you're still going to find the notes that you need.
1: Yeah, so in other words, you're saying, so you're saying, have your work done basically? And get it to a point where it's an extension of yourself, the instrument.
0: Yes, yeah, um, and where where it's become becomes sort of second nature what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, My old then,
1: teacher used to say autopilot. Yes, I think yeah,
0: it, you get it onto, Bring that, it onto autopilot. But, but then you have to work on little areas with technical difficulties to to understand. Really, what what is the intention of the composer? What is the pattern there? And if I can decode what that pattern is, my hand will fall much better into where it has to go. If I haven't decoded mentally what mm-hmm. it is, the hand won't do it. So, um, a lot of practicing, uh, and I suggest, is is the the look first, look through, and the analysis of the piece, which is a mental practice, which is worth five or six. Physical practices. So, looking through something, analyzing. We had a, a, a pianist here in Australia, Roger Woodward, his name, and his story was he would, back in the seventies, he would get the score of the concerto he had to play, and he just got all the pages and put them right round the wall, and he would do his analysis on everything and and work it all out um before even touching the instrument. Very and interesting i actually think that that's a really important thing as you're learning
1: okay Um, and then when you're when you're positioned then as a a pianist in a group situation given that most of the world's pianists when i'm talking of students now are very much independent on their own doing their thing because you can't lug a piano on your back (laughs) so um it takes effort in some cases for people to have the opportunity to play in groups So what would you advise a pianist who wants to get into the group situation of playing with other instruments? What kind of preparatory work should they do? Should they work a lot on oral work? You know, ear training and listening to a lot of music or apart from having their own parts of the work done. What kind of advice would you give? Rhythm.
0: Rhythm, rhythm, rhythm. Uh, Because if you're playing together with any ensemble, you have to keep in time. And that's the hardest thing for classical pianists to do is to come in and play in time because you know you, you do rubato everywhere and you, you put feeling and you and you pull this and you put in a pause and you do this and you do that. Yes, so then you come and you have to work in a strict rhythm with a drummer and a bass player and a guitarist. You can't do that, you have to know where to put the beat. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I must say, for, for students, I, I I've got two books that I really like to use with the rhythm. One's a book called Counting Time. I'm going to give it a plug. And it, it's where the, the gentleman has put the colour boxes. Um, oh, not he hasn't put the colour. He's put in boxes with the links, so the notes and the lengths. And uh, he does it all in black and white, white. but I put colour with it and I get my students to do that so they can relate the length of the note with the what, – what, what does that symbol mean? Yeah. And then we have an Australian um, wonderful jazz pianist and, and educator, his name is Karen Bailey, and he has a beautiful book called Rhythm Unraveled, and it's got pages of patterns and a fantastic CD of backing tracks.
1: Oh, so lovely.
0: Clap, clap along or play along um, with the backing tracks. And he has a whole section on jazz rhythm and style in within that book as well. And I love using the, the book and the CD with all my students and it's like, where's that beat, you know, and, and the, because of that audio tracks, you really feel whether it's an eight feel or a swing or
1: mm.
0: it, it's, it's, it's a
1: great resource. So,
0: okay. Um, yeah. And I mean, there's yeah.
1: apps out there now. Tom play, I think, is one that comes to mind that um, a lot of people are talking about in terms of utilizing it as backing track for your part, you know, whether it yes. be real core classical music or otherwise. Um, yeah. So that's great That's
0: great but also the other thing is you need to put, you know you need to know your chords and to improvise like you, you, your ear training is very important too because so, you sometimes you might play without music altogether all and if you do if you know what the chord progression is for the song and you've been thinking one six two five one and this degree numbers and things like that that helps so you can do it in any key. Um, yeah so to play you know come out of the classical and learn learn your classical from the point of view of a jazz musician look what chords Bach used mm-hmm. what chords Beethoven used and, yeah and then take your reading skills from that and back in to be able to play your jazz and read some jazz lines as well so mm-hmm. I like the. Interplay of the two styles all the time. Yeah, and
1: I think a lot of people who are aware of that connection, meaning the the harmonies that you see in classical music, connecting to jazz music, that there is a very good learning mm. procedure there, just waiting yeah. right there to be explored. Yeah, mm-hmm. and sometimes you go,
0: oh, oh, aha! I found. Look what I found here. Bach did a Bach's favorite chord. I think is the dominant seven flat nine chord. Yes. So next time you
1: fly a piece, but you look for the seventh and say, so night, that night. That Okay, <laughs> i remember that one. Okay. <laughs> I remember that one. So earlier in the interview, we referenced about pop music and you have some materials provided for students who love pop music. Everybody likes some form of pop music. So you have a book called, I think you were titling it Hot Tracks. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So I, I, um, uh, I think I spoke about about many years ago, I did many arrangements uh, of of popular music, and um, this one was one I published myself, and I've got Morning Is Broken, I've got The Piano Man um, in it, and I've got um, various things that are very tuneful, but they're popular that people might know. It's also got some party songs, it's got Happy Birthday in, because Actually, my mum said to me, people can get to fifth and sixth grade piano and they still can't play happy birthday. We will have happy birthday in there. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's got some good material and it's between first and second grade. It's got the chords written above too. So if you wanted to take the melody and, and dress it up and do some more with it and you, you could read your chord symbols, you can do that as well. Um, so good. that's hot tracks and there's there's another one which is called junior tracks which is a more uh for for the young ones starting and that's more like i've got um oh, i've got twinkle in there and i am a fine musician and pe- things that the, the children would know but mm-hmm. r- arranged again pianistically with both hands on and not just one note at a time thing so this is the thing about my arrangements a lot of other arrangements is like three notes in this hand and two notes in that hand and that's right yeah
1: and they're very bare you know they're they're lack interest and just they don't sound right
0: yeah so i have a bit more of you know hands hands um motion and uh nice harmonies in there but even say with two only two notes you know so yeah so um yeah check out my hot tracks book on my website and and have a look at I've got the the tunes and the list of tunes on there but they're all um I try to do interesting things with the music not just uh, mundane so it's a, a bit of a twist
1: <laughs> yeah that's I what guess. I've seen that's what I've seen is that with some of the arrangements that are out there they're very bare and not true to the piece of music that you know very well so it's mm. it's lovely to see this refreshing set of books they're available for students what age group would you suggest these would be suitable for
0: oh i've got, had some six seven year olds eight year olds going on to that but also the adults like it because it's it's you know it's, it's got adult tunes that they would have heard um okay. uh, on, on the pop radio and I wrote one, one original one in. It's called River Dance, and it's got a very Irish feel to it. So you'll have to have a oh,
1: there it. we we have to have a look at that one. Have to have a look at that one. Great, <laughs> love to finish interviews like this with a couple. Well, actually, four fun questions. And in your case, these are multifaceted questions. So the first one is: What musical secrets, or what secrets, have you learned so far in your career? Okay, so. That music is a combination
0: of our oral, visual and tactile skills. So you can't just do one side or the other. You've got to do the whole lot. And perceiving music intervalically is the key to all of this, uh, in each of those skills. And once you do that, you, it leads you to see music in shapes and patterns and you can... Um, Sight read better and for pianists you can use the geometry and the layout of the piano to feel your way through and it helps you remember scales and chords and arpeggios and those sorts of things. And then if you decode the patterns then your fingers will fall into the correct shapes Um, and um, I think I mentioned before that mental practice is important so working out what's on the page well before you play it and sorting out what you're going to do. Um, and uh, you know, be the be the musical de- de- detective um, first before you play. So um, I think that's the big clue to to doing things from my point of view is um, is is not to do it random, but just to, to be um, careful about what you see and um, bring the music to life through spotting. What the composer's done there. Or, mm-hmm. or, so
1: learning how to analyze pieces, understanding the harmonies over time, yes. um, I suppose. Also, mm-hmm. Sorry, just going to say also
0: being uh, orally tickled by the chords and the sounds and being curious is, oh, what sort of sound is that? How did the composer create that sound? And do yeah. I like that or don't I like that sound? And being,
1: Yeah. So yeah. you're leading back into the understanding of chords, of harmony, of theoretical components. What has created the most impact in your musical life?
0: Well, I think it's just having been raised in a very musical family with both sides of the family, um, playing music and also that our house was a music studio and we had music and my mother teaching accordion in the front room and then a guitarist and a drummer and, and four or five rooms and music going all day, every day. And my mother would turn the radio on for the time she, she got out in the morning, And we'd be listening to all sorts of things from classical through to um, her favourite. She said, I love Frankie. That's Frank Sinatra. (laughs) So we'd be listening to a range of things. And, um, yeah, so I was exposed to a lot of music. It was around me all the time. And we discovered that I had um, perfect pitch when I was about six from the, the fact that I'd started learning when I was four. And I already knew what a G was, the um, sound, and I was able to relate that sound to the pitch, and uh, I've kept Yeah, that. but one thing
1: you shared with me, and I think many people might be aware of this, that perfect pitch is a learned skill or can be a learned skill. Some people think it's a God-given thing you're born with, but you just shared before we recorded this section is that if you're young enough and you get exposed to, perf- you know, pitches of sound, you can then have perfect pitch
0: yeah the the, the memory you, if it, it's like early memory thing. so your your memory for the pitch uh, can get established. So they say if you, if you do it before you're five, mm-hmm. um, then you get that memory for the pitch and uh, uh, it, it can stay with you as it has with me. Some other people can learn one pitch like a violin, just one note that they knew, they know always know what that one note is, and then they can do relative pitch from there. So that's useful for a lot of instrumentalists to get to know exactly where one is. I find I, <clears throat> when I'm trying to find the pitch, I, I can sing it. And I remember where it is in the sound in my voice. So mm-hmm. I think if you sing uh, a bit and, and get used to that, G sounds, this is where it sounds for me in my vo- voice, um, where it resonates, um, then you can test it out. You can use that as your one note that you're testing everything else against.
1: Right. So you have an anchor point, as it were. Yeah. What is the best tool you choose to use?
0: Well, we would start with the piano because it's a, a, an orchestra at your fingertips. You can have everything that you need there um, at, at your fingertips. Um, and um, I will, as I talked about before, um, <clears throat> sit down and just improvise and things will just come, which is mm-hmm. which is lovely. Um, and then the second tool late in the later years that has been helpful is a music program called Sibelius. Some people use Finale. I've gotten used to using Sibelius and the fact that I can take something that I've heard or put it on my phone and listen to it. And there's, there's where my good ear comes in because I can improvise and I can go just by ear and take it off there and put it into the notation program. Then the notation program can spit out a... Um, you know a lead chart or something and i can also then um bring it to life and hear the instrumental sounds as well so um it's 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 really helped my composition be faster
1: yeah Um, i was just going to allude to that the speed it's it's speeded the process up yeah yes and what is the number one growth tip that you would say is most important probably for those listening to you in this interview
0: have fun with your music. Don't be too serious about it. And um, you know it's there's a joy, there's a joy in playing, and you get to that point where where music is is totally joyous all the time. And um, I have a very interesting new term that I've de- developed, and when the music has to broaden out and it, play play like elastic, my new Australian, italian term is stretchando so you have put a stretchando in the music <laughs> yeah let it
1: breathe let, let it breathe
0: let it breathe put a stretchando in i yes, like that really, very much breathing with
1: music is so important you'll trademark um, that name or that title yes that yeah, that,
0: and,
1: um, that's yours and along
0: with the stick plus one that's my trademark for the for the interval of a fourth
1: that's me as oh, well okay very good yeah. very good well I it's a pleasure it's been an absolutely pleasure of uh interview to host and it's been great to learn of your story and meet you and um i can definitely suggest that um for students listening to this there's loads of golden nuggets to be learned from and um anything new or you know any concerts you know let us know about them we can publicize them here on the podcast Absolutely. thank you very much for coming on thank you very much for having me so